You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit oasiswaterloo.org. As Flex said, today is Partnership Sunday. It's the end of our Partnership Month for the last three weeks. Um, we've been looking at these four principles of partnership, we've called them. What does it mean to commit ourselves to be part of this community, part of Oasis Church Waterloo? What does it mean for those of us who have been around for a while to recommit ourselves to Oasis Church Waterloo for the next 12 months? We've looked at four principles of partnership, and here they are. The first was, I spoke on this, I will play my part in helping to build the community of Oasis Church Waterloo through service, interaction with others, and prayer, and by striving to live my life in a Christ-like way. On the second week, Rebecca spoke about this one. I will commit to playing my part in making everyone who comes to Oasis Church Waterloo feel welcome and totally included. And then last Sunday, Dan spoke on this. I will support the leadership of Oasis Church Waterloo, encouraging and challenging them to lead as well as they can. And so today, I'm going to talk about the final one of these four principles of partnership. And here it is. I will endeavor to give of my time, my energy, and my finances towards the mission of Oasis Church Waterloo. And then towards the end of the service this morning, there'll be a really practical opportunity for you to get involved in this, to respond to this, to look at what it means for you, for all of us to be part of this community over the next 12 months. So I'm going to start this morning by getting straight into those verses that Laura read to us. Here's a few of them again. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but where the sun came, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some a hundred times. These first two lots of seed, they don't take root at all. Some of them are on the path. Some of them are in shallow ground. They grow up really quickly, immediately. But then there was no way of knowing when you were planting that whether that ground was shallow until it started to grow and then stopped growing. The third lot starts to take root but then gets choked by the weeds i don't know about you lot but this is the story that they always told in sunday school like they felt like you were part of that third group because like they'd got you into the church and so you probably weren't number one or number two but it was like woe betide you who does anything bad woe betide you who kind of gets involved in the wrong crowd because if you do that you'll be like the one that started really well and then the weeds came over and took over but i wonder if we're all a bit susceptible to this group, actually, to kind of category three here, to this group of seeds. Because there's something about those roots, those seeds, that, that crop that starts to grow. But the thing about the weeds coming in and the weeds taking control is that that doesn't immediately kill off that crop. It starts by slowing down its growth and then it stops growing way before it actually gets totally engulfed by the weeds. And I often think about this about myself. Am I at a point where I'm stopping growing? 
Am I surrounding myself with the right things, having the right conversations that mean that I am continuing to grow and not getting sucked under by the other influences, the other things I could be doing? I think there's something about discipleship in there in what would uh, the, the language that we might use. There's something about how a community staying in touch with and sticking around in the community helps us to grow and helps us to stay away from that kind of problem. And then there's this fourth category. Now, to fully understand this fourth category, we need to think about the people to whom Jesus was telling this story. Like with all of these things, particularly Jesus' parables, we can kind of over-spiritualize some of this stuff, can't we? We can look at only the spiritual meaning and we can forget what it would have been like in first century Palestine for those people who would have been hearing this story. We lose a bit of the actual normal day-by-day meaning. See, Jesus used this analogy about seeds and the sower because he was talking to farmers. He was talking to people who sowed seed. And so they would understand what he was talking about. But he was also talking to a particular type of sower. They were in Galilee, that's a photo of Galilee, that's the Sea of Galilee in the background, and Galilee was hot, and the land was really hard, and the soil in that part of the world is stony, so it was difficult to grow crops. It was really hard work, and sometimes without much reward. So these farmers, they would really know what Jesus was talking about. They would think about how they scattered their seed and the return that they might get for that. They would know the frustration of wasting seed, of planting seeds and seeing plants start to grow, only then to realize that the soil wasn't deep and that all of that patch was wasted and wouldn't come to fruition come harvest time. Also, these would have been tenant farmers, which means that they didn't own the land that they worked. They would basically rent it from rich landowners. The landowners would take most of the harvest, but they would leave just about enough so that the farmers could survive year by year, so they could just about get by. But the farmers would never be able, in a normal harvest year, to save up enough money to buy their own land to buy their way out of this system. A normal harvest yield would be about seven times what was sown. If you had a yield of seven times the amount that you'd planted, that would give the farmer enough money to survive another year. But in Mark 4, chapter, Mark 4 verse 8, These are the words that Jesus says. He says, still other soil, other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and it produced a crop 30, 60, some 100 times what was sown. Imagine if you are a tenant farmer struggling and scraping to get by, and you listen to this. 30, 60, 100 times what was sown isn't just a nice outcome. It's what you dream of. A harvest like that is what you go to bed dreaming of. It's what keeps you going. It's what the daydream that you have while you're working the land in the hot summer sun. It's the equivalent now of people dreaming about winning the lottery. Because this type of yield, 30, 60, 100 times, would give you enough money that you could buy your own land. 
You're no longer a servant. You're no longer giving away most of your income to the rich landowner. You can keep all of your yield. It gives you safety. It gives you security. It means that you know that you can provide for your family ongoingly, not just that you've got enough to get you through this next year. See, this parable, this story that Jesus is telling, it's about turning the economic system upside down. It's about breaking the rules of the game, changing the system. The kingdom is like this, Jesus is saying. But back to the roots, the crop that grows, the crop that produces the amazing yield, the crop which changes the farmer's life, it only does so because the roots take hold. The soil isn't shallow. There aren't weeds swallowing up the new growth. The roots take hold. And it's that that yields the results. We've called this series Putting Down Roots, and that's why we talk about roots and putting down roots, because it's relevant to us as people, isn't it? Because roots lead to growth. Putting down roots somewhere leads to growth. If we are going to grow into people who transform lives, both our own lives and the lives of those around us, we can only do that if we are putting down our own strong roots. A couple of months ago, our church leadership team met for a Saturday to chat about what the church might look like over the next few years. We talked about our priorities, what we thought was important, what we'd like to get better at. How could we increasingly become a church where everyone feels known, where everyone feels loved, where everyone can increasingly become the best version of themselves. Actually, as a quick aside, if you'd like to chat to any of the leadership team about that, about what made you feel welcome and included and stick around to you, or any problems that you have, any areas where you don't feel totally welcomed or included, do feel free to grab any of the leadership team, because we really would love to talk to you. Come and grab us at the end, come and speak to us, send us a text, we'd love to chat. Anyways, part of that morning, I read this quote from an author called Maria Popova. It says this, May we face the future with the steady serenity of a tree, that supreme lover of light, always reaching both higher and deeper, rooted in a network of kinship and ringed by a more patient view of time. I really like that quote. Because I love this idea that as a tree grows higher, as we see it grow, as we watch it get higher and higher, it can only do that because under the surface, its roots are going deeper and deeper. A tree will not grow unless those roots are getting deeper. And we're the same, aren't we? We can't grow unless we put down roots. Unless we commit to something, commit to somewhere, commit to someone, commit to saying, I'm going to stick it out for a while, regardless of whether I feel like it. Until we put down roots, we won't grow either. 
I remember when I first joined the leadership team here, someone joined the church and she immediately got stuck in, got really involved in anything. She signed up for like 15 rotas. You know, at the end of the service, she was always giving her number to somebody and meeting up for a coffee during the week. She joined a small group, everything else. And she was great. You know, she got to know loads of people really quickly. She was like your dream newcomer. You know, she was always volunteering at something or other every day of the week, you know. And then I spoke to somebody who said, oh, yeah, she, um, when I was at my old church, I, uh, I knew her. Um, yeah, she was only around for about six months. She, um, she came, she got really involved really early on. She signed up to the database. She started volunteering. She joined a small group, all this kind of stuff. And then something happened. It was only something really small. I'm not sure what it was, but then she decided to leave and to move on. And it turned out that she had done this same thing at loads of other churches in London. The same pattern, she'd turn up, she'd get involved really quickly, and then something would happen that she wasn't happy with. Nothing major ever, it was just like a small disagreement with something, or a small disagreement on how something was being run, or the style of service, nothing huge. And then immediately she'd leave and she'd start this cycle again. And sure enough, a few months later, she left our church, and a couple of years later, I was talking to a friend from a different church, and it turned out, She'd gone there as well and had done the same thing. This person, part of her problem was that she never put down roots. She was never really fully committed to anywhere. Now, there may well have been a number of reasons why this was the case. And I think now, with the benefit of hindsight and a bit more experience, I think I probably could have tried to explore that a bit further, tried to tackle that head on, tried to understand why this was the case, why she did this. But because she never put down roots, she continued to travel all these London churches, never really committing to anywhere. Now, this obviously isn't me trying to say that you should never change churches or that you should always stick with relationships which are harmful. Obviously, that's not what I'm saying. But developing relationships, putting down roots, takes time and it takes commitment. I've probably told this story before in church, but when me and Louise first moved to London, it took us ages to find a church and settle in a church. We were living near London Bridge, near what was then a hole in the ground and is now the Shard. And we always wanted to go to a church that we could walk to. So every Sunday morning we would get up, we'd walk to a church, we'd sit through a church service and we'd walk home. And during that walk home, I would tell Louise all the things that were wrong with our church's theology. And we did that for about six months. We just carried on going to these places. And I... We had come from a church in Swansea that was pretty progressive in its theology, that was inclusive of LGBT Christians, that was activist in its faith, that did all the things that we do here, and we really struggled to find a church that was like that. And then eventually we came here on one Sunday morning, um, and Louise really liked it, and I thought it was all right. Um, and I realize now, looking back, that that's because my roots were still in that church in Swansea. That was part of the reason that I couldn't settle anywhere. It was because even though I was physically coming to these churches on a Sunday morning, my roots were still there. I hadn't actually moved on. 
And then we went back to that church in Swansea for a weekend and we stayed with some friends of ours. They were leaders of the church. They were kind of like everybody's mum and dad. You know, they were that kind of that generation older than all the young people in the church. And we stayed with them. And I really clearly remember on a Sunday morning, I got up really early and I went downstairs to their kitchen. I sat at their kitchen table and I talked to this couple and I told them the problems that I was having settling somewhere. And I said, we found this one church it's all right, and it's the first church that I haven't walked home and complained about the theology, but it's not the same. It's not like Linden. It's not like the church that we, we were part of. And they said, yeah, do you know when we moved here, we had the same problem. We'd been really, really involved in a church up in Bury. it was, in the north of England. And they said, it took us years took us years until we realized we were properly committed to this church in Swansea. And then they said it this. They said there's no shortcut to developing relationships. There's no shortcut to it. So you've just got to stick with something. And I remember really clearly that afternoon sat on the train station in Swansea waiting for our train to come, chatting to Louise and saying, all right, let's give it a go then. This church is the best one that we found. We could continue going around forever, but while our roots are in Swansea, nothing is going to match up. Let's start committing here. Let's put our roots down here. So we came back here. A few weeks later, we joined a small group and we started slowly to develop these relationships. May we face the future with the steady serenity of a tree, that supreme lover of light, always reaching both higher and deeper, rooted in a network of kinship and ringed by a more patient view of time. What does that mean for you today and over the next 12 months? Here's that principle of partnership again. I will endeavor to give of my time, energy, and finances towards the mission of Oasis Church Waterloo. Does it mean committing your time? Does it mean committing your energy? Does it mean committing your finances? I'll tell you a story about a girl called Katie Fisher, who lived in a small, really tight-knit community in Ohio in the States. She'd been growing up on a farm, and her parents had given her a lamb to raise, and she'd done a really good job of this. But Katie also struggled with her health, and she'd been diagnosed with cancer in her teenage years. She'd been in and out of hospital. She'd had to go through chemotherapy, which, you know, as many of you will know, in the American health system, can be an incredibly costly thing to have to do. And then when Katie's lamb was ready to be sold, she took it to the Madison County, Ohio, junior livestock sale. And when it was her time to sell this lamb, the auctioneer told the people there Katie's story. He told her why she was selling this lamb, why she was wanting to raise the money. He told this story to the audience. Now, the average price for a lamb like Katie's was $2 a pound. The auctioneer started at a dollar. Yep. Anyone got a dollar fifty? Yep. Two? Yep. Two fifty? Yep. Three? Yep. Four? Five? Six? 
The lamb eventually sold for $11.50 per pound, almost six times what it was worth. The buyer came up. He paid the auctioneer. He shook Katie's hand. He took the lamb off Katie. He turned around. He walked back to the auctioneer. He put the lamb down and he said, sell it again. The auctioneer started the auction again. The same thing happened, way above the asking price. The new buyer came up. He paid the auctioneer. He turned around. He shook Katie's hand. He picked up the lamb. He walked it back to the auctioneer. He put it down. And he said, sell it again. That day, that was the end of the auction. The lamb was sold 36 times. Katie went home with over $16,000 towards her medical bills. Sell it again. Sell it again. That small community was committed to each other. And they were committed in action, not just in words. It's one thing to say that we are a community which looks out for one another, which supports another. But it's another thing to act in a way which proves it, isn't it? Sell it again. I feel like we don't talk about money too often here. Generally, we'll try and put it in somewhere in partnership month. But it isn't something that we do too often. I think there's probably a couple of reasons for that. I wonder if something is around uh, the kind of traditional British reserve, which means we don't talk about money in public very much, do we? I remember when I was at university and I did a, a group um, a task in some marketing lecture that I was doing, and it was me and my mate Luke and two American exchange students, and we had to go to the library to do this task on the computer. Yeah, I'm so old that when you had tasks to do on the computer, at university, you had to physically go to the library where the computers were because no one had laptops. So anyway, we get to the library and then we're kind of huddled around this computer. Me, Luke, and one of these American girls, I can't remember her name, it was like Brittany or Courtney or something like hyper-American with an E sounding at the end anyway, but her mate hadn't turned up. And so we sat there, the three of us, waiting for her mate to turn up. And while we sat there, huddled around this computer, she logged into her computer and logged into her online banking and started checking her bank account in front of us. I mean, that would never happen in the UK, would it? Like, she couldn't have come across more American if she was watching basketball, eating apple pie and singing the Star Spangled Banner and drinking terrible watered down beer while she was doing it. It would just never happen. Also, I think that I worry that if we talk about money too often, we'll sound like one of those massive mega churches. I went to one of those once, and after half an hour of flashing lights and terrible loud music, it was time for the offering. And suddenly, all the lights dimmed, and the music stopped. And they introduced someone new to the stage. And he spent 10 minutes preaching about how if you gave loads of money to the church, God would bless you abundantly. It sounded very much like a sales pitch for one of those pyramid schemes, you know? If you give one pound to London Mega Church PLC, you will receive 10 pounds back within the next six weeks or whatever. But, you know, it seemed to be a pretty successful strategy, to be honest. The shirt the guy was wearing looked like it cost more than everything I own. But 
for those reasons, I feel like we don't talk about money very often, but I feel like maybe we need to put that aside for a bit because the thing is, the people who work here do some pretty amazing things with the money that we receive. Rebecca, who was leading the music this morning, most of you will know her, but she is the manager of our advice centre team who Ellie um, and Claire work for, and she put together some stats for us. She sent it through to me over the weekend. This is stuff that we had done between September and December. Um, around 500 different people came to our group activities. Di over there runs an English language cafe. We run a thing called the Small Project, which gives out clothes to uh, parents who've got kids and can't afford to buy clothes for them. We do a parents walk and talk thing to get parents out of the house, get them moving and have the, an opportunity to have a conversation. Uh, a ton of things around that, youth club sessions, and 500 different people came to those in a four-month window. We did 300 one-to-one -one support sessions, youth mentoring, citizenship applications, benefit appeals, those types of things. Over 9,000 people attended events that we put on in that period, despite COVID. That was beer and carols, our community fridge, which again is providing free food for those who need it, church services. And our food bank provided food to over 70,000 people in that four-month window. I can't tell you how much difference every single one of those things makes to every single person who's involved in them. But I will tell you one story. I take our kids to brownies, and I was chatting to somebody on the way there, another parent, um, a couple of weeks ago now, and this parent was saying to me, oh, she said, can you just thank Louise for the conversation that we had the other night? And I said, yeah, what was that? And she said, oh, I, um, I was just chatting to her at the community choir, which Felicity runs. And I went home and I was chatting to Louise about this story. And she said that this person who was also part of the choir was really struggling with a work thing. Um, and that she had a big you know, meeting to talk about this work thing a couple of days later. And then the following Tuesday, Louise had gone up to her and said, oh, hey, how was that thing you were worried about? How did that go? And she told Louise how it had gone. And then at the end of the choir session, just before they were going home, she came up to Louise and she said, thanks so much for that conversation. She said, no one else has asked me about that. I don't have anyone to talk to about those kind of things. And she still now tells me that story every week. Every week I go to Brownies and she says, honestly, that time when I was really struggling, those conversations, being asked that question, it, it meant so much to me. They weren't singing songs while they did that. That isn't why they were there. They were there for a choir. But it is these small things, every single one of these events, that you just don't know what difference that makes to the people who attend them. Sometimes it is the big story. Sometimes it's the thousands of pounds of debt that we've written off. Obviously, those stories are hugely important as well, aren't they? But sometimes it's one question. It's one conversation that otherwise wouldn't have happened. So 
as I end, we've written this principle deliberately. We deliberately included money with time and energy because we know that for some people, money just isn't a possibility at the moment. And for some people, the last couple of years particularly have been a real struggle. And there is absolutely no obligation whatsoever to give anything at all to be part of this community. As we say, every time we talk about giving, Everyone has their reasons for giving what they give, and reasons are often complicated. I don't know what your reasons are, but no one in this church will ever pass any judgment on any of those things. But as we think about this principle, and as we come to an end, I wonder what it is for you. We're going to end this morning with communion, and there'll be an opportunity for each of us to respond to this. Do you want to commit to journeying with us over the next year? And what might that look like for you? I will play my part in helping to build the community of Oasis Church Waterloo through service, interaction with others, and prayer, and by striving to live my life in a Christ-like way. I will commit to playing my part in making everyone who comes to Oasis Church Waterloo feel welcome and totally included. I will support the leadership of Oasis Church Waterloo, encouraging and challenging them to lead as well as they can. I will endeavor to give of my time, energy, and finances towards the mission of Oasis Church Waterloo. One more verse, and then I'll invite people down to take communion. This is from Paul's letter to a church in Ephesus from the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 to 19, and they say this, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Because that is the other way in which we are rooted. We put down our roots in Oasis Church Waterloo but bigger than that, more importantly than that, if we are committing to being rooted in this church, we are committed to being rooted and established in love. We are committing ourselves to loving ourselves, loving our neighbors, loving God in the way that God loves us. I am committing myself to love myself, to love my neighbors, to love God in the way that God loves me. And that is my prayer for all of you over the next 12 months. My prayer for each and every person sitting here in front of me, everyone who can't be here, everyone who's out volunteering at Kids Church, everyone who's watching it on Facebook, everyone who's listening back to this podcast, my prayer is that each and every one of you would find yourselves rooted and established in love and that you would grasp this morning, really grasp how wide 
and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ for you. And you would know this love that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God.